Welcome to the Exec MBA Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. On this episode of the podcast, I'd like to feature a conversation I recently recorded with Tiffany Pillafont. Tiffany is an MBA format student in our class of 2020, and she and I recently sat down to talk a little bit about her background, why she decided to pursue an MBA, what she's enjoyed about serving as a section representative for her class, as well as her advice for prospective students. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Tiffany Pillafont. Tiffany, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. All right. So for our listeners at home, tell us a little bit more about you. Who are you and what do you do? Sure. Um, I'm Tiffany Pillafont. Uh, what do I do at work? Um, well, now I am the – I lead the uh, marketing performance and insights function for our tax marketing business within Thomson Reuters. So my team um, leads market research, customer and buyer persona research and analytics, and also marketing performance data and analytics for our business. And our job is to help um, marketing and the business and our strategy teams make good decisions uh, with data or to find the data that they need to make good decisions with. So I love it. It's very nerdy, a lot of spreadsheets, um, and that's what I do at work. At home, uh, I'm a mom and a wife. Uh, I have three boys. So I have a 17-year-old stepson and a three- and four-year-old boys and a husband and a dog who is a girl. Um, So I spend a lot of time at home with Band-Aids and snacks and using the dishwasher to clean sippy cups, which I know you're not supposed to. Um, But, yeah, mom and professional. So you have a very full plate. I have a very full plate. That's right. But I wouldn't have it any other way. I would get bored very easily. And you're you're at Darden, which at is Darden. known to keep people busy. That's right. Um, so how do you think about going back to school? You know, an MBA, you know, for many of our prospective students, one of the questions that they oftentimes will raise on the phone with us is, how do I know when the timing is right? Or how do I think about, you know, taking the step now. It always feels like something that's easy to put off and, oh, I'll just do it next year. How do you think about that? Well, I did put it off for a long time. um, And I've thought about an MBA um, for, I would say, five or six years, um, but didn't seriously consider it as an actual option that I would go forward with until this year. Um, And I started to have a feeling five or six years ago, maybe even earlier, that I didn't see the big picture um, that I could see a narrow vertical and I could see it pretty well, but I had a hint and a feeling that I was missing something. And um, not understanding the mechanics and the theory behind how all of the departments I was working with were interconnected and what the big picture looked like and how to do it right. Um, and then also to grow myself as a leader, uh, that feeling just got stronger and stronger over the years. For me, the right time was when my kids were old enough to be kind of sufficient, um, that they weren't infants any longer. They were sleeping through the night, and therefore I was sleeping through the night, and everybody was kind of happy and stable. And then for me, this was the right time because they were still young enough where um, I could be there for all their important things. Um, They go to bed at 8 o'clock p.m., and so that gives me some time for studying, um, whereas if they were older, I would want to – they would be up and – traveling and doing activities, and I wouldn't be able to be present in their life. So it was kind of now or never for me. Yeah, you're right. You've had classmates who've had babies and yeah. continued. One in the first week Continued school, right I along. Yeah. I know. Um, I think that's always a good reality check for 
fellow classmates. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had some students comment. You know, I thought I had a lot on my plate. I thought, you know, my particular situation was difficult. And then uh, one of my classmates had a baby mm-hmm. and uh, continued to do the program. And <laughs> yeah. then, you know, maybe my plate isn't as full as I, I thought it was. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think everybody is juggling a lot while doing this program. Sure. If yeah. you're a prospective student and sort of wondering how that is done, uh, know that there are you know, hundreds of people who have successfully done it. And mm-hmm. uh, it takes a village, I would say. It, it takes, definitely takes a village. you got to have a team. Mm-hmm. Um, and different kinds of teams, too, I think. Let's talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. I mean, um, my... I have different villages, different teams. You know, obviously there's my family. My husband has been absolutely um, pivotal, of course, um, in me being able to attend school. And he was the one who actually pushed me to hit submit on the application when I did it, Um, knowing uh, that the majority of the time burden would fall on him um, because I would be busy with school and work and being a mom. And that doesn't leave very much time for being a wife sometimes. Um, So he had to feel comfortable and happy that that was going to be the case. And he's a great dad. So he had to spend a lot more time with the kids um, and watch them when I was in class or uh, during exams um, or traveling for residencies. So that's one team, team team husband, (laughs) the most important teammate of all. Um, and then also my learning team has been incredible. Um, I've been super lucky to have a learning team that we were matched with. Actually, we were given during LR1, during our first uh, residency together. And I don't know what magic um, they used to match us together, but we just work. Um, and, you know, every other quarter or so, we travel the globe and then come back together. But uh, the team has a really good working vibe. And when I've been overloaded or when they've been overloaded, we've definitely picked up slack, helping with notes or um, doing the the grunt work on a spreadsheet or an assignment um, or splitting up readings. That's been incredibly helpful, too. Do you have a team at work that also makes it possible? Sometimes people talk about how when you're away uh, for residencies or, you know, some week-long experiences in the program, your work – at work falls on colleagues. It does sometimes, that's for sure. And um, I'm lucky too. And in this new role of mine, um, I started in this role in November. Uh, my um, manager now also did an executive MBA program when he had young children. And so he knows uh, what that's like and uh, is very understanding of the time that I need away from the office. Um, and my team, um, they're just incredible, both my peers and the, the folks who actually work for me. Um, they are incredibly competent, and we were kind of put together from scratch, which is great, and we know how to work together. And um, we've just been able to work it so that peaks and valleys, we just understand them for each other. Um, and there are times when it's just unmanageable and you just have to grunt through it. And then there are times where it works seamlessly. Um, and then there are times when you forget to communicate about it, and uh, you kind of have to pick up the phone during your lunch break, during on-grounds, and figure something out with the team. But um, everybody's very understandable, and everyone knows that this is re- a really important place to be. No, that's great. Um, I would say, you know, that's something that students invariably talk about here on the podcast. The other thing they talk a lot about is setting those expectations. Um, how did you go about yeah. having those conversations? Well, the most important expectations were with my husband. And um, prior to applying, um, I, I live in Charlottesville, so I have a lot of friends who have been through this program. And um, I actually sat down with all of them. Um, one at a time, we went to lunch, and I said, hey, so how is this like for you 
can I do this thing? Is it going to drive me into the ground? And what was it like for your family during that time? And I also sat down with their spouses and asked them what they did at home. And everyone was very brutally honest that it's tough. It's a tough change. Um, it gets easier over time. Uh, but that the first kind of half was, was a grind. Um, and so we came into it with very open eyes. Um, and my husband knew that it was going to be um, a lot of his time as well. So it was a lot of conversations. And mostly I was the one who required convincing that it was going to be okay if I did this. So, Yeah, that's yeah. – um, do you, st- you schedule time uh, for your family specifically? Um, that's yeah. another thing that students have talked about is this hyper-scheduling that starts to happen. Oh, super hyper-scheduling. Yeah, exactly. Um I've had to think about my time um, as kind of a pie chart <laughs> now, um, and there are parts of the pie that are non-negotiable. Um, so you only get a pie that's so big, you know, mm-hmm. and you only have 24 hours in a day and seven days in a week. And um, so parts of the pie are non-negotiable. You know, uh, I have to be at work for part of the pie. And, um, you know, when my kids wake up at 6 a.m. until they get off to school and then afterwards, you know, they demand 100 percent of you. During that time, that's non-negotiable. Um, class time, non-negotiable. Residencies, non-negotiable. And then there's the time after like 9 p.m. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that maybe is studying. Uh, for the first year, it was a lot of studying. Um, or it can be let's watch a show and try not to fall asleep on the couch next to my husband. Mm-hmm. But the thing that we did outside of that too, which has been really helpful, is that we have a babysitter who we love who we just put on retainer. And we said, show up at our door every other week on either Tuesday or Monday, depending on the quarter, and we go out. And there are times when she rings the doorbell and we completely forgot that we were supposed to go on a date. And uh, so we just walk around Costco or something. It's kind of lame, but we just get out of the house together. So that's been really good for us to just know that every other week we're going to have this time away from everything that we're just going to connect. And that's been kind of our sacred time together. Yeah, that that time is super important. as you know from being an in- a former incoming student, we do student advice post mm-hmm. on the Admitted Student blog, and there was quite a bit of discussion about if you have a partner, partner, significant other, husband, wife, schedule that time, yeah. create a date night um, to make sure that you are minding that relationship. It can be easy to, you know, you just get so busy. It can yeah. be easy to forget. Um, there was also a speaker uh, during LR1, uh, an alum of the program mm-hmm. who came and talked about, like, he and his wife went and did yoga and got dinner like once a week, yeah. basically while he was in the in the program, he's never done yoga before, but it was a Aww, great way for great. great way for them to to connect and yeah. to have that time together. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, so if you're listening to this podcast, wondering, you know, start having those conversations now. Yeah, and you got to get creative about how, how to use the time. I love that idea of yoga. My husband and I have done um, breakfasts. Uh, you know, drop off the kids early and then have a thirty minute breakfast, even. Um, I know other folks, too, that have a show that they watch every week, and that's their time, and they have a glass of wine and watch a show, and and that's the thing. But you kind of have to – what I've been thinking is you kind of have to double up um, sometimes. So um, while I'm taking my kids to swim lessons and they're in the pool and I'm waving at them and proud, I'm also reading a case (laughs) at the same time. So you have to get creative about how you use your time knowing that you only have so much of it and you have to get all of these things done. Yeah, when I first started here – 
talked with students about how they manage the case reading, and a number of people talked about how they would listen to a PDF screen reader mm-hmm. a case at like one and a half or two, you know, two times <laughs> yeah. speed. Just uh, again, another exposure. Hear it one more time, uh, just to try to make it a little bit stickier because you're you're busy. Yep. Um, so. Let's talk about Darden and what about this experience mm-hmm. resonated with you. Um, what what led you to Darden? Well, I live in Charlottesville. Uh, Darden's in Charlottesville. Um, it is now, um, and it, uh, it that was a kind of a no brainer for me. But beyond that, the experience that my friends have had going through this program has been truly transformational for them, and I've watched them go through it over time and then come out the other side, and the pride that they had. Um, to what they had experienced and also learned was just palpable. Um, I came for a classroom visit, and I was in an accounting class, and I never thought that I would sit in an accounting classroom visit and thought that think that it was interesting. Um, that would be one of those classes that I probably would put on a list of ones that I was dreading. And I sat in a, on an accounting class, and it was awesome. And I, I learned more about the case method as a result, and... Um, understood uh, what that level of um, expertise requires from teachers, um, professors, and, and the, the staff here. And um, it's a whole other level. It's a whole other ball game to teach from the case method. Um, and I have to say now a year in, it's just been fun. Uh, it's a fun teaching me- mechanism. And uh, it's so much better than reading textbook article after textbook article is dry and boring. It's really nice to have like a little soap opera drama in a case. It's wonderful. So it's the combination between, you know, word of mouth from my friends' experiences and what I experienced in the classroom visit um, and just the, the the reputation that Darden has is kind of unmatched. So, Yeah, I, the class visit is huge. Yeah. Uh, for most people, I would say that is the thing that really kind of sparks their interest or confirms mm-hmm. their interest in the program. Uh, we put people in accounting and finance yeah. and decision <laughs> analysis. Uh, we put people in marketing classes, leading organizations, ethics, uh, management communications, all of the above. Yeah. I mean, Darden has a core curriculum, as, as our podcast listeners know. And we think it's important for you to see all the phases of it. Yeah. You know, you may not be a quantitative person in terms of your background or, or current work, but you're going to have to take decision analysis. It's important to see, you know, what these classes look like. Yeah, absolutely. Know? And so, um, I the think- other thing, there's something that really stuck out to me actually leaving the classroom, and, and it's something that um, when I was doing my interview uh, for the application process that I asked a lot about was about the classroom atmosphere and dynamic. And one of the things that was very important to me in this experience was that it was not competitional. Um, I'm too old for that. I, I'm not going to apply for any more, you know, PhD programs after this. Grades are not the end-all, be-all to me right now. I never thought I would say that in my life. Um, it was really about the learning. And um, I did not want to be in a situation where people were consistently competing with each other and it was cutthroat. And what I saw in that class was people leaning over and helping other people, people asking questions that I didn't know the answers to, but probably in that room seemed basic, and there was no judgment about it at all. And in talking um, with Whitney as part of the interview process, she confirmed that with me too, that it it was very much a learning, team-oriented learning environment. And I, I definitely have seen that ring true in my experience here too. Yeah, we always try to explain it to prospective students, um, this thing that... When you come back as an adult learner, 
It's not all about the outcome. Yeah. You know, it's not all about grades. And I think that can be hard for people who are really driven to sometimes hear, but you know, it's all about the input, you know, like what, what do you want to learn? You know, what do you want to get out of this? And, you know, there are probably some classes when you think about your own professional goals and how you want to develop that might be a little bit higher order priority for you. Everything's ultimately helpful, but, you know, you have a different perspective right. on this. And I think that helps with the time management. It definitely too, does. So. Yeah. When you can, when you know enough about what you need to and should know versus what's kind of icing on the cake, um, you can meter your effort a little bit more as a result. Yeah, and the other truth about the program and the other thing that we stress with prospective students, I'm curious your thoughts on the, on this, um, is that the program is about building, building fluency uh, in, in these core areas, but not to make you an accounting expert, right? You, you're not going to typically be the technical expert in the right. room. Uh, you're going to be managing that person, and you, that's the lens. Um, yeah, I, I definitely I, – I see that. Uh, I will never be uh, a corporate finance person, but the level of conversation I actually can have now with my corporate finance partners is way deeper than probably they enjoy. <laughs> so, But it's wonderful because we can have a conversation about cash flows and I can understand the levers behind that. I can ask questions about it. Um, which sometimes makes their job more difficult, but it also shows that they have a partner that understands what their job looks like and what's important to the business. And um, yeah, absolutely, um, I will never be an accountant, but actually, my business is with accountants. Um, they are our customer, and uh, it's really interesting for me to understand the levers of accountancy and then apply that to the market. Actually, so. That's been helpful too. So we had talked about all the all that you have going on in, in addition to school, uh, and should note that you decided to add one more thing to your plate. I that did you, that you're a, a class rep. I am and a section section rep, uh, and so you want to talk about sort of what motivated you to take on a leadership role within your class and and what you enjoy about that work. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of an interesting story. Um, I initially completely rejected the idea of doing anything extra. Um, I thought, this is enough. There's no more that I need to do. Please don't ask for anything more. And one of my friends from the program um, said that they were going to nominate me. And I spent about two quarters convincing them not to. Um, and then the idea just kind of took hold <laughs> in my brain. And I thought of how proud I could be to influence a program like this. And and the further I got into it, the more I understood how important this experience is to me now and would be to me in the future. Um, and I want to leave a legacy here, too. And um, so it was a huge challenge for me just to get up in front of a room of my peers and ask for their support in that. That was terrifying. Um, and so that was a learning experience, too. Um, and I also wanted to see if I could do it, if I could, you know, work with a with a whole class of overachievers and high performers and do something that they would appreciate, that would be a huge challenge. So um, that's why I decided to do it. I just I wanted to do something to improve the program. Um, I wanted to do something um, to, uh, I don't know, make myself proud and leave a little bit of myself here after I left too. So what does that work look like? Um, yeah. You know, Conversations with program leadership, you know, class activities. What 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 does it mean to be in the role that you have? Yeah, it's it's. I think it is what you make of it. 
Um, me and the other class reps are um, very dedicated to a couple of things. Um, one is just providing space um, for people to come together and spend time to spend time with each other. It seems small, but it actually is big. Um, so trying to cultivate the types of classroom norms that really work for us. Um, you know, we had a conversation in LR1 as a class about what our, what we wanted our norms to be like. Do we talk over other people? Do we raise our hands forever? Do we wait till somebody's done speaking? Can you just blurt out? How do you do classroom norms? So we try and cult, you know, reinforce and cultivate the classroom experience that we want. The other thing that was very important to us is what was and is, um, weaving in conversations outside of textbooks. Um, so for example, um, we started a kind of curriculum, an outside the classroom curriculum series on um, a kind of otherness and differences in the workplace and how that applies to leadership. Um, so race and age and gender um, and all of the othernesses um, and how those change your leadership experience. Um, so we've been working with um, Martin Davidson and diversity and inclusion folks to try and help us have those conversations because we know that as leaders we need to. Uh, so we're really proud of that effort. And the face of the school is changing, um, partly as a result of what we did. They used some of our survey materials for our class in that area to help recruit a new staff member. Um, so we're really proud of that. That's great. Um, yeah. I have to credit you and your, your fellow section reps. Uh, for taking time out of your summer to talk with our incoming students about about your experience, uh, for our listeners uh, who were, you know, obviously this is this is news to you. Uh, you know how busy Tiffany is based upon our conversation, <laughs> and, and you can sort of extrapolate there for her classmates. Uh, they took time out of a, a summer evening uh, when they did not, you know, did not have to. Uh, so they had commitments during the week and. Uh, an hour of, of their time to talk with our incoming students about what to expect and here's some tips and advice and these are the things I wish I would have known. Um, and I think that's very emblematic of, of the culture. So um, big thank you uh, yeah, for doing that. Yeah, you know, for us it was very much a feeling of, um, you know, we knew that the incoming class was just going to start LR1 soon. And that is just a fire hose to the face. I mean, LR1 is really tough. And a lot of us, you know, when you talk about it a year later, everyone's like, wow, that was really tough. Um, but nobody wanted to admit it at the time because there's still a little bit of posturing that happens with people that you don't know very well. And we just wanted to impart on the class that it's going to be okay. You know, it seems really hard and it is really, really hard. But it's going to be okay. And you're just going to put your head down and you're going to get through it and that's okay. And everybody else feels the exact same way that you do right now. So um, that was just important for us to make sure that they had a little bit of a cushion uh, there to understand that they were not abnormal if they felt overwhelmed. That's such an important message. Um, Jim Dietert, in, in the welcome address that he gave to the class, talked about imposter syndrome, which I yeah. think is, you know, it's such an interesting thing. We had this conversation with a, with a few uh, students on, on the podcast. I think a lot of candidates, when they start, you know, applying, working through the executive MBA application process, start really questioning, like, am I qualified to do this? Everyone else is much more qualified. And, you know, we do everything we can to dispel that. But even still, when people show up for school, there's still some of that, that feeling. And um, I thought that was powerful that he, that he took some time to talk yeah. about it because it's hard, it's hard to admit that or you, you might feel that way, but you sort of wonder, does everybody else feel that way? I mean, there's a lot of statistics to suggest 
in a starting NBA class, most people feel that way. I can believe it. Yeah. And, and you go from a situation where maybe you're a big fish at a small pond at work and now you're in a small pond with lots of big fish and um, everyone is impressive. Everyone. Um, and it's intimidating. It's also after a little while, after it stops getting intimidating, it's pretty invigorating at the same time. Um, so the thing that I've really enjoyed um, besides, you know, just getting to know my classmates is also getting to know their strengths too. And where they come out is sometimes surprising and sometimes predictable. And um, it, it's really, really enlightening uh, to see where everybody's depth of expertise is and it's different for every every person. What's been the highlight of the program for you or some of your favorite things about the program? Oh, it, that's a hard question to answer. Um, but I mean, hands down is is the friends I've made here. Um, and I have to say, again, I came into this program not wanting any extras. You know, I was going to do the program and get my degree um, and learn the things that I needed to learn. And I wasn't banking on making friends that I think I would keep for life um, or, you know, really looking forward to residency weekends to see my people again. Uh, the sense of community that we have in Charlottesville and the Charlottesville cohort um, is really strong. Uh, and there's a genuine care that we have for each other across the whole program. Um, and it's that it's that sense of connectedness and community I think you get from a program of this size with this caliber people um, that everyone knows each other and everybody is willing to drop it, uh, drop everything and help. And that's just been uh, amazing to see. So you are in quarter seven yeah. now, uh, which – how does that feel? It feels great. <laughs> Um, yeah, the first four or five quarters were tough. Um, not only just getting, you know, the swing of a new routine under, but the material was also tougher. Quarter seven, I feel much more relaxed. Um, not only with the material, uh, is less quantitative and more qualitative. Um, but also because I think I know how and where to spend my energy now. Um, and it took a, uh, it took a while for me to get that under my belt. That's right. Um, uh, my analogy for the case method comes from my experience in law school. And I th think I can remember the first case that I ever read. And I think I spent three or four hours on a four-page <laughs> yeah. case, like all these facts that didn't matter at all. And just, just reading all this stuff and trying to commit it all to memory. And then I can remember coming in class and by the third or fourth question, uh, we were off on something that I had <laughs> right. not even thought about nor knew anything about. But yeah. you go back, you reflect on it, you think, gosh, that next class, I probably want to think about these things. And you go to the next class. And it's iterative, right? You get much better. It's yep. a skill like anything else. So um, I think that certainly sounds like what, what you're talking yeah, about. Absolutely. It's, you know, what, start with the exhibits, <laughs> read the first paragraph, read the last paragraph, and then read the chunk in the middle. And all the HBR articles are kind of the same way. You read the first and last paragraph. And then if you can, you get into the meat in the middle. But um, yeah, there's a lot of tricks that, you know, you learn over time. But also it's about, like you said earlier, it's, you know, in my career, um, I likely will never have to value a company. However, it's very important for me to understand how companies are valued. But understanding how to do the mechanics of it, I'll probably never need to execute. So while I loved that class because I'm an Excel nerd, um, loved it, uh, I'll probably never have to do it again. So my level of um, investment into it was not as detailed as if I knew that that was something that I wanted to investigate further in my career. Mm -hmm. So – 
here you are, quarter seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got a few more quarters to go. It's a 10-quarter, 21-month uh, program. Uh, electives are upon us, yeah. uh, quarter nine and quarter ten. Um, you, what are your plans for the elective period? I'm really excited about electives. Um, I went a little bit all over the map on those, oh, literally, actually. Um, so I took, I, I grabbed a couple of electives as high priorities that I was really excited about. There's one, uh, marketing technology products elective that happens in San Francisco, um, in Silicon Valley, uh, for a week. And that's right up my alley, both, um, startup and tech and marketing. Um, so I'll be there definitely. That was probably my number one. Um, I also took, uh, I remember taking um, one, my very first case actually here ever was the Safaricom case, um, and Yorgos taught that class. That's where that was the fire hose to the face. Um, well, he's teaching a class on fintech, and I am taking it. I never thought I would care about fintech, but the combination of him as a teacher and the material is going to be great. It's going to be hard, but it's going to be great. Um, so I elected to take a finance class. Never thought I would say that. My dad would be proud. Um, and man, some others. I'm doing a, um, a a coaching class with Connie Dunlop because I know that it, probably a career transition will happen for all of us. But um, I am looking to make kind of a larger one here pretty soon, and I'm going to need some help navigating through that. Um, so yeah, I, I chose ones that were really relevant to to me and what I wanted to do. Um, and then I chose a couple core. Uh, core things that will be very important for my job. Pricing is one of them. Um, so, yeah, uh, things that I, I'm really looking to having fun with and also things um, that I chose specifically purposefully because I need those skills. That's great. Uh, the San Francisco elective has been extremely popular with exec yeah. students. One of my favorite stories uh, from electives last year was they opened it up generally to uh, full-time MBA uh-huh. students as well as executive MBA students. And 24 executive MBA students <laughs> signed, signed <laughs> yeah. up for the class, um, which is 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 great. I mean, that class, it's, it's with Raj, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, it's always been popular. Yeah, and, I'm very excited. And Yorgos um, is, I mean, once you have him for one class, he just you makes such an more. incredible impression. Yeah. Uh, it's an element of theater and yes. such you know energy and yeah. life in the classroom. Um, got, we, had a, we had an admitted student day here in Charlottesville, and I was helping with the live stream, which was his class, mm-hmm. yep. and uh, and he walks in. He's te- teaching this fintech cl- class all about you're a bank. You're trying to figure out, you know, how do you become a fintech firm? Do you just stay what, doing what you're doing? You'll never be able to do that. Do you acquire a mm-hmm. company? Do you hire a bunch of engineers? What do you do? And, right. I mean, you know, he's all over the classroom. He's walking up and down yeah. the aisle. He's calling on people left and right. Yeah. I mean, you you remember it, that. I remember it. And there are phrases that he said in that. We had one class with him. There were there were a few phrases that he said in that one class that we've said almost every on-grounds since. Um, so, yeah, he definitely leaves a mark, uh, a good one, um, and inspires you to take more finance classes. So, <laughs> so uh, he's great. What global residency did you do? I did China. How was yeah, that? China was incredible. Um, I had never been to Asia before, uh, which is partly why I chose China. Um, and we were in Shanghai and Beijing. Started out in Shanghai, moved to Beijing. Um, and it was incredible. The combination of the different culture um, being you know, 12 hours removed from your time zone, um, the length of time it takes to get you get there, you really 
are able to distance yourself, you know, literally and figuratively from everything else. Um, and the program was was amazing. I I think the pinnacle for me was ending up the last uh, night we had together was on the Great Wall. Um, and so we had this uh, week together where we've been traveling. We took the bullet train between two cities and it was going ridiculously fast on a magnetic track when you could barely feel it move and ended up in Beijing, looked at Tiananmen Square and the Forbidden City. And then we ended up at the Great Wall, which is just this amazing, you know, everyone sees pictures of it, but it is amazing when you're walking on it um, and imagining what it took to build that thing. Uh, and then we had dinner on the Great Wall after, and it was amazing. It, it was it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. That and the 25,000 dumplings I ate during that time frame really left an impression <laughs> on me. There's not a bad dumpling in that whole country, I'm convinced. So good. Yeah, the, um, the global trips, I think it's such a unique opportunity to bond with your classmates because everybody's out of there every day, mm-hmm. reality. And you're obviously, you know, China, India, Brazil, Western Europe, obviously it's – you know, it's different culture. It's yep. different experiences. You're all having the shared experience. There's a obviously a bonding that happens. Oh, that. for sure. Yeah. And especially in China, we very much um, stuck out, <laughs> you know, a large group of, of people walking together with uh, um, kind of uh, headphones in for the tours all the time. We were pretty conspicuous. And so um, and very few of us spoke the language. Um, it, the language was a, a large barrier. So you are definitely insulated walking around in this little bubble um, and forced to kind of work together to figure out the metro and the subway and how to pay for things and how to get money out of the ATM and how to ask for a coffee. Um, so it was a great experience together. And we were able to get a lot of, you know, incriminating pictures of nap- people napping, um, you know, on the train or on the metro or wherever. But it was fun. It was really, really excellent. So any last piece piece of advice for for our listeners any anything that you'd like to highlight for them? Yeah, I think um I'll say this. Um the biggest thing that I learned um so far in the program was something I never thought I would have to be told, which is that um how you spend your time and how you do in your classes is your choice. And I remember having um, drowning a little bit in the work that I was doing um, because I wanted to read every case and get every detail and figure out every formula. Um, and a friend um, just kind of pulled me aside and said, hey, so what are your grades like? And I, I shared them with him. They were they were good and fine. And he said, hey, well, how would it feel if you just dialed that back a notch? I was like, wait, that's an option? Not to go 100% all the time for the best thing you could possibly do all the time I didn't ever think of it as an option. And I think when you're in a room with other extremely high potential and performing people, um, everyone just assumes you're going to do your best all the time. But sometimes it's not worth it to do your best all the time um, because I'm learning the same amount regardless of I, if I get this Excel formula right or not. So um, that conversation was very crucial to me to understanding um, – that the value of this program for me was in the experience and the information and the learning that I'm actually really um, not only learning but but fluent in now and and not 
the getting the answer right and doing all of the reading and having read every word and answered every question. So I would just say to, to incoming folks, like, really be mindful about, um, you know, the juice and the squeeze. Um, and sometimes a little bit of less squeeze still gives you the same amount of juice. So um, with that, <laughs> that's what I would say. That's my biggest lesson. Well, Tiffany, thank you so much for taking time. My um, pleasure. I should note we are recording this on a beautiful Friday afternoon. It's beautiful. Here in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, yep. I hope you have a great weekend. Thanks yeah. for taking time for the podcast and, and for all your wisdom and advice. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And that was my conversation with Tiffany Pillifont, an MBA format student in our class of 2020. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We can be reached at exec, that's E-X-E-C, MBA at Darden.Virginia.edu. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>